I hope, I hope you're ready for Christmas. Uh, in our house, we're almost ready. Uh, most things are wrapped. I'll call it 90%. Uh, Donna would call it 80%. Um, the Christmas cow is almost thawed. Uh, the Christmas crustacean is just about ready to boil. Um, so we quit doing the traditional Christmas dinner many years ago because I don't like it. And so <laughs> we started having uh, a different meal altogether and, uh, and Christmas is... At some point for the Vaughns, it transitioned from being about presents to food. And uh, not that you could tell that by looking at me. So my hope is that you're ready. My hope is that your family is ready. And my guess is over the next couple of days, uh, you you may take a look at Luke chapter 2. Somebody might read it out loud in your living room or family room. When Luke, the historian, the physician, begins to tell the Christmas story, uh, we're going to pick it up just a couple verses in in Luke chapter 2. And this is what he says. Joseph was a descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home, and he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. And he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. I love the phrase. Uh, It would be later in the New Testament that one of the authors would talk about time being pregnant when Jesus was born. It's this idea that there was an expectation that God was about to do something unique. He was gonna send help. He was going to redeem all of us and time itself was pregnant and the time came for the baby to be born. So she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And in one verse, Luke tells the Christmas story. And he tells us about the birth of Jesus. My attention this year has been on nativity sets, mainly because of a special one that I acquired again this year. My brother uh, lives in Kentucky, younger brother. Last Christmas, he was packing up all the Christmas stuff, and he said, hey, I've got the old nativity set for mom and dads. Um, They don't decorate much anymore. And, And he said, I'm getting ready to pitch it. Does anybody want it? And I just almost fainted. I thought, pitch it. You're going to throw the thing away. Yes, yes, I want it. I want it. And so he boxed it up and he sent it to me. Stayed in a box until, well, Thanksgiving weekend. And then we put it up. This is it right here. This was in our house for uh, ever since I was a baby. And I will never forget uh, the times that we would put it up when we decorated for Christmas. We'd unbox it. This, this uh, little, uh, you know, whatever it is, barn. It's the nicest barn I've ever seen, but it, it's got a nice top. It's got some things missing. It's in two pieces. We put that together. Up here, uh, there uh, above, the, above the baby Jesus, there was an angel. There's a little place there for it to be, and you can tell something's missing there. That angel is long broken, long gone. We have no idea where it is. It's not there anymore. So no angels in our Christmas. And this, of course, reminds me of what Christmas is about. Now, for the last five or six weeks, my attention has been on not just nativity sets, but kind of focused in on the manger a bit. And I can't really tell you why, except that I think that's what God has me pondering and thinking about. And it could be because I recently rewatched Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, now, you might remember there's a scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off where, he, where Cameron is, you know, they're in the museum. And it's probably the most poignant moment of the entire movie, but he is staring at a painting, and in the center of that painting is a little boy. 
It's a famous painting, and that little boy is, is got his mouth open, clearly crying, and you can tell. I mean, most people think the movie's about Ferris. It's not. It's about Cameron. So uh, you can rewatch it later. That's a whole other sermon series. We won't get into our Christmas Eve. But Cameron just focuses in on this, this image in the painting, and you can tell that he sees himself in the center of that painting. And this is how I felt throughout Advent, looking at nativities. Everything else about the nativity began to fade away from me, and I began to focus in on little Jesus in the the manger. And as I thought about my own nativity, and we have a couple in the house that are set up, I thought about your nativities, and so some folks in the church helped me out. You're going to get a little tour that's pretty neat. Uh, This is a nativity that's in the Thielander's home, Jerry and Carla, and this is made out of olive wood, and it's from the Holy Land. And they acquired it on their own trip, and it's beautiful. You can just see the carving. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, this is beautiful as well. Some of you probably have this in your house. It's a, the willow tree nativity. How many of you have this in your house? Let me see your hands. Yep, we had at least a dozen in the last service. It belongs to the Tallies, Don and Chrissy. Um, this is Michelle Barton's, and she said, you know, this is the best I can do right now. But if you look at it, Joseph has no hand. He's missing a hand. And she said, uh, if you look close, and I did, I zoomed in on the picture, Jesus looks like he's about seven years old, you know, <laughs> he's like way overdue for a haircut, and it's, it's unique and beautiful, and it's one of hers. This is one of my favorites. This belongs to the Fort family, and the Fort family in our church, uh, Ann um, Fort made this when she was in third grade. Uh, this is Kim Fort's, the mom, this is Kim Fort's favorite nativity set of all of the sets that she owns. This is uh, the Botine family. So this is in their house, and it's beautiful. You can see, but there's, there's a little something missing. Anybody, can you, can you just take a glance and tell me what's missing? Anybody know? I heard a murmur or two. Yeah, that's right, the wise men. The wise men are missing. And that's on purpose, of course. The Botines put this up, and, and Hunter Botine, who's, uh, where's Hunter? Is, there, there's Hunter right in the back. He says, if they put the wise men in the nativity set, it's, it's not theologically correct. And Hunter is absolutely right about that. Uh, because if you, uh, how many of you have the wise men near your, near your nativity? They're, they're right there on the same table, right? So, so if you read the Bible, and apparently most of you don't, um, <laughs> then, then, then you would know, you would know that the wise men come about two years after the fact. They visit Jesus in a house, not the manger. And so uh, um, th- there are some from first service that committed to, they rededicated their whole lives to Jesus. And... They committed to going home and taking the wise men and putting them in the garage where they belong. <laughs> or the mailbox, depends on the distance. You've got to kind of map it out, measure their feet. I mean, it's involved. It's really involved. But this is the Botines, and it is a beautiful nativity um, and biblically accurate. Thank you, Hunter Botine. Give Hunter a hand. He's right back there. He'll be glad to know. This is the Speeds family. It's, it's, uh, you might know Kim is an artist, and, and this is artistic. It's, it's an Italian set. It's beautiful. It has this, uh, this incredibly um, sort of Renaissance look, and I love that. A lot of you have nativity sets that are just like this. This is one of my favorites, uh, the Pasniks. This is their nativity set, one of their favorites. They sent me several, actually, uh, but Vicki wanted to, us to see this one. When their daughter was young, they made this set together as a part of a Christmas activity. You can see that all the nativity members are made of flower pots, and little Jesus is in the flower pot. 
So that's cute. I love it. I love it. This is also beautiful, the bleakers, Josh and Eva. Eva sometimes sings. Josh is serving here at the church in a variety of ways. This is the only picture I got of a nativity set that is one piece. All three members of the Holy Family in one piece, carved out of olive wood, also from the Holy Land. And you can see little Jesus there with Joseph and Mary. But the one that I want you to pay close attention to is from the Butler family. And this is the Butler family nativity. And uh, what's unique about this is that uh, Jesus is missing. Um, He's gone from right there. In fact, Michelle said, uh, last Christmas, Jesus went missing and it's still a cold case. He's still missing. (laughs) He's not there. And so it made me wonder, made me wonder is, is, you know, I mean, it's it's Advent, right? Advent means Jesus isn't here yet. So are they going to wake up on Christmas morning and one of the Butler kids, you know, probably court, right? He would just kind of pull Jesus out of somewhere and go, he's here, you know, it's Christmas, but we'll see. So keep us posted. Somebody from earlier service said, so Michelle, there's no Jesus in your house. And she said, draw your own conclusions. So this, their nativity, nativity set without Jesus, I think is appropriate for the Christmas season. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. And when you Think about the snapshot that is located in Luke 2.7. And as I focused in on the manger and who Jesus is, and Jesus being central, of course, to the story, I've been plagued with a question ever since I've been pondering it for the last three to four weeks. And the question that has been poking at me that I would love for you to wrestle with a little bit, you have to kind of suspend the things that you already know about Christmas. You have to... Remember that everything you know about Christmas, you've known most of us ever since we were very little, even if you're not a church going, whatever, you know that Jesus was born as a baby. But the question that has poked at me is this Why did God send a baby? Why a baby? He could have done it a thousand different ways. If God was going to communicate his love to us, he could have sent an angel. He did so many times in the Christmas story. Why would he go to the trouble? Why would he go to this this length to send this tiny little baby? And I can't even fathom what it was like for Mary and Joseph to have to care for a baby. But not just a baby, but even why a human at all. God could communicate to us a thousand different ways as well. In fact, the psalmist says that day and night, the heavens, they pour forth speech. If, if Christmas is communicating to us the depth of God's love and mercy, why on your table at home is there a nativity set and in the center an infant? I know you're used to it. And you can't imagine Christmas without baby Jesus. I know that. But if you consider it for a moment, you'll find it as unbelievable as I do. And the reason I find it so unbelievable is because when you consider the baby being there in the middle of the the whole deal, then you'll admit along with me that Christmas seems like an extremely risky plan. It seems incredibly risky. I can't imagine what it was like for Mary and Joseph to be there and know through the prophecy and Gabriel's message that they're holding not just any baby, but they're holding a very special baby that's going to alter the course of history. I mean, it's very clear from what Mary says in Luke 1 through her prayer that she has some understanding, some awareness that this is a unique time in history. I mean, when Austin was born... And we took him home from the hospital and we're parents for the first time. 
we walked into our little thousand square foot house, little bitty entry area. I had the little carrier with him in it. And I thought, where is the nurse call button? I, I have no help here. I, they didn't even give me a book on this. I have no manual. I don't know where the off button is. There are so many things I don't know about this. I can't believe that they trusted us to walk out with this baby. Parents, did you have the same feeling? This sense that I I can't believe this. There's so many ways for me to mess this up. And we discovered most of them. (laughs) I mean, I, I dropped off St. Carter at least twice, both of them, at different times. And they're mostly, you know, okay, but occasionally some residual, you know, effects are there. And when I consider Mary and Joseph caring for Jesus, I think, my goodness, this is such a risky plan. I mean, there's illness and all kinds of things that could go awry. I, I know he's God's son and God could intervene. But it seems like through Jesus' life, God mostly plays by the rules. I mean, occasionally he shows up and does some amazing things and the miracles. But that's all during his ministry. When he's a little baby, I just think, oh my gosh, I can't believe that God did it this way. It seems so risky. I mean, if there was a Christmas committee, and thank God there's no committees in heaven, but if there was, and God said, here's what we're going to do, communicate the love and redemption of the world, ascend, you know, my son, emissary, they'll say, great, that's great. They, they, should, they should see your son. And, and so when he's born, they would stop the meeting. They would say, what are you, wait, 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 did you say born? You're going to send him as a baby? Oh, no, no, no. Risk would never approve that. They would never approve it. This doesn't make any sense at all. It seems incredibly risky because it's a tough world, especially for a baby to be born into. During the Christmas season, we have a manger that sits on our porch. Uh, it, I, I made it long ago, just a little out of wood scraps, and it's there by our Christmas trees. It helps decorate our porch, and there's, there's a little baby Jesus there that, that Donna has wrapped in little snuggly pieces of cloth, and it sits there, and we had an Amazon delivery guy come by uh, not too long ago, and this is shocking, but I feel like you need to see it, okay? He comes, and he's going to deliver a package up to our house, and I know, it's okay, you can laugh, but it, it, should, it should remind you that Christmas seems like an extremely risky plan. Because even little baby Jesus, fake baby Jesus, on my porch isn't, isn't safe. I know, I know. Some of you are afraid to laugh. You're like, can we laugh at that? He hit Jesus and we're in church and yes, you can laugh. In fact, you just follow Michelle Butler's lead and it's all very hilarious. In fact, now, I mean, once we got over the shock and horror of it, and of course we're sure he's on the naughty list. Um, we laugh at it harder every time we, we see it. Um, and he laughs too. And, and of course, I've, I've had my imagination is at work because I wonder what kind of church baggage he has, right? Uh, how is he mistreated by somebody who loves Jesus? Why does he have this, uh, you know, I mean, he used my package. I feel like I'm an accomplice. <laughs> and he smacks little baby Jesus. I mean, what did little baby Jesus do, right? What did little baby Jesus do? But he has some hurt, probably, or, I don't know, rebellion, something. And so now that I've diagnosed him eight different ways, 
Um, you know, you get that little email that says, how was your delivery? Was it good or was it bad? I wrestled, that still is in my inbox. I haven't answered yet. I still don't know what to do because I, I want to show them some love and I feel like somebody ought to tell them, right? You can't treat Jesus that way. But Christmas is an extremely risky plan. And so I wrestled with this question for weeks. Why? Why did God send a baby? And you should wrestle with it too. The Christmas story takes up a, a big chunk of your New Testament. The idea that Jesus came as a baby was it's obviously not, well, we're just going to start with a baby and go from there. Obviously, it's on purpose. God incredibly intentional in how he communicates his love to us. And as I wrestled with this question, and maybe as you wrestle with it too, there's a verse that came to mind that I feel like began to light the path for me. And the verse is out of Colossians. I'm familiar with it. Maybe you've heard it too. But it says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Say that yellow part with me if you would. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And then Paul goes on to say this, he existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. So that might be news for some of you that Jesus didn't just begin existing when, when Jesus was born. He has existed forever and he is the supreme over all creation. But this is the piece that matters for Christmas because if you're wondering what God looks like, you look at Jesus. If you're wondering how God feels about something, you look at the words in the Gospels and pay attention to Jesus. If you're wondering how Jesus feels about, oh, I don't know, people who sin, then pay attention to how Jesus treats those people in the Gospels. If you're wondering anything about the image of the invisible God, who God is, who, by the way, through the vast majority of the Old Testament remains cloaked inside the Holy of Holies and very, very distant from his people. And so if you're wondering anything at all about who Jesus is, then you pay attention to this, that he is the visible image, Jesus is, of the invisible God. And so this is a conclusion I came to, that there must be something about the nature and the character of God it could be expressed only through the fragility, through the tenderness, through the vulnerability of an infant. That's who God is. And I know that we have an understanding that God is large and God is big and he's omnipotent and he's all, you know, all powerful. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I know that he knows everything. In fact, the idea that God is big and powerful and large and in charge, we know this well. We've stood at the edge of the ocean and felt the tide come in. We've been on top of a mountain and see the, the expanse in front of us. We, the prophet Isaiah says that God is so large that he measures the oceans in the hollow of his hand, that he shows us the breadth of the sky by measuring it with the width of his hand. We know God is large and we know he's powerful and we know we are at his mercy and we know all of these things. But did you know that God is small, that he is fragile, that he is vulnerable, that his skin is soft and that he is so small, not as in unimportant, but he is so small that he is willing to know your name, the details of your life, 
to care for you, to walk with you, to be involved intimately in who you are. He wants to know you that way. And so when Paul writes that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, I believe that when God sent his form, his nature, and his character to inhabit a person named Jesus, did not come as a reigning king, but as a vulnerable child, that God was communicating the depth of his love and humility to you and his desire to come to you in the most gentle way you could imagine. And so, when Luke says, she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Luke is communicating that not only did God trust Mary and Joseph, not only did he allow himself to be vulnerable, but tiny infant Jesus communicates the nature of God's love for you as being tender, subtle, human, and kind. That's who he is. God is saying, I'm large, but I'm also small enough to walk with you. And I am distant. I'm as far as you can see, but I'm also close enough to be right in the middle of your grief with you. I mean, for some of you, Christmas has already turned out to be a bit of a bust. And it's not quite what you expected. And God is whispering into your ear, I'm with you and I will never leave you for I am vulnerable, I am intimate, and I am fragile. When our boys were little, we would be going places and we were always going places because we had places to go. And the boys would tag along with us. And one day, finally, Carter said, because uh, we said two words often over, over, and over again to him. He said, we are always in a hurry everywhere we go. And we said, why do you think that? He said, because you always say, and he said the two words that we repeat to him over and over again. Do you know what they were? Hurry up. That's what we say, hurry up. We got to go here, hurry up. And I don't know when Donna and I realized that our adult steps are, I don't know, this big and their little baby steps are this big and we expected them to take as many as they could take, as many as we could take, as fast as we could take them. And he said, you just seem like you're in a hurry everywhere we go. You tell me to hurry up. And then we stopped and thought, and we'll walk slower. We can do that. They're small. They're small. I don't know where you're going, where you're headed, but I know this. God wants to walk with you. His love for you is deeper and wider and higher than you could ever imagine. And if you have this picture of God that is a, oh, a gray-haired father that is pretty much disappointed in you on the daily, then maybe what you need is a picture of God wrapped as a baby who is vulnerable and humble and loves you deeply. Not just in spite of what you've done, but in many cases exactly because of what you've done. That's what Christmas is about. And so I'm going to invite the team up and I'm going to light a candle here in just a moment. And you're going to hold each of you in this room a representation of the light that John describes in his Christmas story. 
he says that the light has come, the light for all of mankind. In fact, when John describes the Christmas story, he says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He describes this light, we hold it as this representation, and we sing on this Christmas night, remembering that God is a fragile, vulnerable infant. And that picture of God is the image, the visible image of the invisible God.